Okay, here we go. Hello, hello. You are listening to A Pastor in His Newspaper with Dr. Castro, a podcast helping you read the news with the Bible in your hand. I am Dr. Castro. It's great to be with you. And we have a lot to get to. Um, We are a week past the midterm elections. And um, some more recent news from this week is former President Donald Trump has um, announced that he is running for president in 2024. So I think for a lot of people, some people celebrated, some people kind of, um, you know, screamed in bloody murder and others kind of just held their breath and said, here we go again. So uh, we're not going to talk about that. Uh, We'll have plenty of opportunities to talk about um, that, uh, that campaign as it goes forward. There's a lot of layers to that, some legal, some political. But I uh, want to kind of just talk about the midterm elections. What did we learn from the midterm elections from this, not this Tuesday, but the past Tuesday, I think November the uh, 8th. So um, typically, you know, this is the first, um, uh, this is two years past, um, you know, President Biden taking office. Typically, uh, a sitting president's party will lose um up to 30 seats that's kind of been the typical in the modern era uh from just kind of within the last you know several midterm elections um republicans lost 41 seats two years after president trump took office um we know that actually republicans um republicans actually won so the democrats lost 63 seats which was the long, largest shift in seats since the 19, 1948 election when President Obama, uh, this was in 2010, two years after he had taken office. Um, and so this is typical. And so there was kind of an expectation, the, the terminology, the, the big red tsunami, that the Republicans were going to get a huge majority in the House, that they were going to take back the Senate. Um, even though um, the economists and others were saying that, yes, most likely the Republicans would win the House, but would probably not take majority in the Senate. Um, and so there were different perspectives, different expectations. And what we got was a bit of a surprise. Republicans did win the majority in the House. They gained seven seats in the House as of a few days ago. That number may have changed a little bit. Um, that I think the majority is fairly, is actually narrower than that. Um, but Republicans have taken majority of the House, not a huge majority, and most likely Kevin McCarthy will most likely become the Speaker of the House, and Nancy Pelosi will become the Minority Leader of the House. But where the where the other surprise was was that Republicans actually lost, as of right now, one seat in the Senate. Um, so it's a 50-49 split, and we're still waiting for the Georgia race. Um, that is going to be a runoff. Uh, Herschel Walker, the Republican candidate, is trailing Senator Raphael Warnock by less than 1%. In the way in Georgia, in a Senate race like this, statewide race, uh, you have to get at least 50 plus, 50% of the vote to win the, um, the race because no one got 50%. Um, there will be a runoff, I believe, in the beginning of December. Um, and so uh, Republicans may pick up that that seat, uh, that Senate seat, or Raphael Warnock may, can, may hold on to that seat, but it's a very close race. 
uh, the, some of the other um, kind of tight um, battleground uh, races for the Senate that the Republicans did not win. They didn't win a lot of these close races um, that we kind of Republicans thought they were be able to kind of flip and win the majority. They lost a lot of these races. Uh, in the Pennsylvania race, Dr. Oz was lost to John Fetterman, um, 51% to 46.5%. So the Democrats actually picked up former Republican Pat Tomey's uh, seat, and so that actually flipped from a Republican to a Democrat. Um, and so that's the one seat that the Republicans did lose. Um, what was interesting about – and so – Republicans lost some of these races, um, and um, where it was interesting was I think one of the clear um, reasons for Republicans losing many of these close races was the candidates, the low quality of the candidate. Um, And why we can say that they were low quality candidates is because if you compare some of these races in some of these states to the then governor races in those same states, let me give you an example. So in Georgia, Brian Kemp, who is the sitting governor, won the race against Stacey Abrams, and Brian Kemp got 53.4% of the vote, and Stacey Abrams got 45.8% of the vote. Now, you say, well, how does that prove that the Senate race, that Herschel Walker, for example, was a low-quality candidate? So, Herschel Walker did not, and if you take that comparison, he was not running consistently with Brian Kemp, who was a Republican running in Georgia for governor. So people literally would vote for Kemp and then vote against Walker, or not vote for Walker, showing you that people supported Kemp but then did not support Herschel Walker. And you think of Herschel Walker as a Heisman Trophy candidate in the early 80s, great hero of Georgia, Georgia football player, NFL player, uh, huge kind of sports um, celebrity hero, and someone who was not, I think it's pretty much understood, not uh, well-versed on a lot of the policies. And so Georgians saw him as a low-quality candidate and then therefore voted either for Stacey Warnock or voted, just didn't vote for him at all. This happened also in the New Hampshire race. So New Hampshire, Donald Bullock, Bulldock, B-O-L-D-U-C, he lost, he was the Republican in New Hampshire, he lost the Senate race to Maggie Hasten. He only had 44.4% of the vote, where Maggie Hasten had 53.5% of the vote. You're like, well, how does that prove that Donald Bullock was a low-quality candidate. Well, again, a look at the governor race. Chris Sununu, the Republican, won the governor race 57%. He had 57% of the vote in the governor's race in New Hampshire. So, again, people went to the polls, voted for Chris Sununu, the Republican, and then voted against or didn't vote for Donald Bullock. Similar uh, things happened in Michigan. We had a Michigan candidate for, for governor, Tudor Dixon, did not do well. Um, Doug Mastroni also did not do well in the Pennsylvania governor race. Um, and uh, Blake Masters didn't do well in Arizona in that Senate race and lost to Kelly, uh, Mark Kelly. J.D. Vance in Ohio did win the race in, in Ohio but only picked up 53% of the vote. That race was far closer. And in the governor's race in Ohio, Mike DeWine got 62.6% of the vote. He was the Republican. 
So again, people would vote against Vance. And, and so you just, you see that a lot of these candidates, now, J.D. Vance did win the race, but it was far closer than it should have been. And Republicans had to pour a ton of money into the state to even be a hold on to the seat. And hence why they weren't able to put more money in Arizona or New Hampshire or Pennsylvania or even Georgia and some of these other close races that they were not able to pick up. Republicans also lost the governor race in Arizona. Katie Hobbs did get 50 0.5% 0.5% of the vote and law and beat Carrie Lake. Um, we also saw even in, in the in the House races uh, in the Virginia seventh uh, in Virginia. This is um, kind of near Richmond, suburbs of Richmond. A- uh, Abigail Spamberger, she won the race. She held on to her seat. It was a very close um, election. Uh, it was kind of seen as one of the the tight House races that Republicans may be able to win this seat. Um, there was some expectations that um, uh, Vega would be able to, uh, who is the Republican, that she would be able to take that that seat from Abigail Spanberger. But she lost. Uh, Spanberger got 51.9% of the vote. But it's interesting, in the governor's race in Virginia two years prior, in that same district, Governor Yunkin, who is a Republican, won 55% of the vote. And Vega wasn't even able to, to even get to 50% of the vote. So... Republicans, I think one of the biggest issues with Republicans in this midterm election was there was a lot in their favor. I mean, Biden is not well supported. Um, let me just give you some statistics. Uh, 80% of Americans say America's on the wrong track. 58% say they do not support President Joe Biden and they don't support his agenda, which Again, you would say, well, these are Joe Biden's not on the, on the ballot. But again, people are voting against or for President Biden's agenda for his party. He is the leader of the Democratic Party. So the view was because he is has so much, uh, 58% do not support him, there should have been this massive wave giving majority to Republicans in the House and the Senate, but they only got a small, uh, a small majority in the House and actually lost ground in the Senate. 62% of Americans do not support Vice President Kamala, Kamala Harris. Democrats have caused the highest inflation in 40 years. Americans say said inflation was their number one issue in this election. So this is the highest inflation in 40 years, and it's being blamed on by Democrats. And yet it was the number one issue in the election, yet the Republicans did not win back this in it, and they only have a small, only picked up seven, seven seats in the House. Democrats' policies have led to sky-high gas and fuel prices, Democrats uh, persist in doubling down on their war on fossil fuels. Democrats continue their anti-police rhetoric. Democrats' efforts to defund the police have contributed to rampant crime and murder in many major cities at epidemic levels. Democrats' open border policies have led to 100,000-plus illegal drug deaths in 2021, mainly because the Mexican cartel are using the open border to import their death pills from China. Since Joe Biden became president, at least 5 million illegal illegal aliens have responded to his open border policy and invaded America. Democrats no longer try to hide the extremism of abortion on demand for any reason and up to the moment of birth. Democrats now require taxpayers to pay for these abortions. President Biden's abrupt withdrawal from Afghanistan led to the worst foreign policy defeat in American history. Our enemies in Russia, Iraq, and China see that we have a weak, ineffective, and mentally challenged president. And so you would think 
all of this should have led to massive Republican seats won in the midterm election. Kind of similar to what we saw in 1994 when Newt Gingrich uh, said that there would be this, the worst defeat um, by Democrats since President Clinton's midterm election. Um, the, or even, uh, uh, even in 1920 when Democrats lost, uh, they lost many races. I think the JOP won 302 House seats in one election. They saw this huge tsunami. All the the statistics were against Democrats. We All the issues, uh, people disagreed with them, yet the Republicans did not win the majority in the Senate, and they only won a small amount of seats, less than 10, in the House. And I think, again, going back to kind of my conclusion, my my observation of this of the, the midterm election is is the the quality of candidates were just not up to par. Um, the Republicans need quality candidates who don't just simply offer loyalty to the former Republican president. Um, that doesn't doesn't work just because you support former President Trump. That does not mean that people who are conservative are going to then vote for you. You have to be more astute on the issues and on the policies and not just say you support former President Trump and you feel like the election was stolen from him. That that issue is not going to win you many votes. People care about main issues. They care about gas prices. They care about inflation. They care about jobs. They do not care anymore about a former Republican president who lost election and if that election was stolen from them. It doesn't affect their their paychecks and then their and their and the money they have in their bank. Most most importantly, parties must show respect to American voters, treating them like individuals and moving away from identity politics as well. And so I think the the main kind of conclusion from this midterm election is is that President, former President Donald Trump continues to cast a large shadow over his party and his stubborn will and, uh, willingness to continue to believe that the election was stolen from him continues to be a major campaign issue and it doesn't need to be a campaign issue anymore. Think about Ron DeSantis who spoke about important issues to the voters and he won 59% of the vote over Chris Christ in the Florida governor race. Um, even for the first time since 2002, more people voted for the Republicans in Miami-Dade County. Uh, Fifty-five and a quarter percent voted for Ron DeSantis for governor. Fifty-four and a quarter voted for Marco Rubio uh, to hold on to his Senate seat. And there's a many Hispanic voters in Miami-Dade, and they came out in, in Grove voting for the Republican. Uh, Hispanic voters care about parental say in school curriculum, and they care about COVID. They don't care about identity politics. They don't care who won the 2020 election, who didn't. They care about issues that affect their families, that affect their children. And this is the issues that good quality Republican candidates talked about. And you saw people voting for them. And the candidates who did not speak to those things or weren't able to speak to those things in an effective way, they lost these, these, these races. And so... Um, one of the other, some other kind of takeaways we can kind of uh, take away from this 
midterm election is abortion is still very much an important issue in America just because of of Dodd, just because of the end of Roe v. Wade and now kind of this issue becoming a state issue. It's still very much a political issue. It's very much a, an issue that's affecting races. Um, despite high inflation, um, only 31% of voters in the exit poll said it was the most important issue to their vote. It was the most important issue, but the second issue was abortion. There was a 27% said that their number one issue was abortion. Um, and those who did say it was their number one issue voted overwhelmingly for Democratic candidates uh, in these midterm re- elections. And so I think it's important for us as Christians, as as people of the church, that this issue is not over, that we have to continue to convince people in our communities that abortion is a horrible policy, that it is, it is we are murdering uh, children. Um, and you say, well, they're not children. They are children, just geographically. They're not outside the womb. They're in the womb. A fetus is a human being and therefore should be protected by law. And we must continue to press this issue in our communities, continue to talk about and persuading people of the horrible, uh, horrible, horrible policy that abortion is, and, and press our elected leaders to, um, to legislate um, for life um, and, and continue to, to press that in, in our voting um, and, and continue to press that in our communities. Um, the other thing is disqualified leaders. Um, we need high character candidates. We need candidates that are students of the issues, um, not empty empty suits, right? Not uh, not puppets of other candidates, but true leaders. And I think that is what really affected Republicans in the midterm election is they did not speak to the to the issues well, and because I think the people were on their side. And the Democrats were on the wrong side of the issues, yet because they were not students of the issues, they were not well-versed on the issues. They were unable to persuade and to present a, a, a quality, high-quality take on issues like inflation or Afghanistan um, or even abortion and some other issues, and just misspeaking um, and not being a quality candidate. Um, and so I want to read, uh, you know, one of the things that's interesting about the Bible is the Bible speaks very often a few different places about leadership and the quality of leaders. Um, we see in Deuteronomy 17, um, God's law about kings and the, the characteristics of a good, godly king. Um, he says that he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. Um, and as he should be a man of the, of the law, the man of approved uh, by the by the priest. He shall read and meditate on God's word. He should fear the Lord and keep his word um, and his statutes. His heart should not be lifted above his brothers. He should not consider him more more important, but he should humble himself, not turn aside from the commands, but continue long and serving the people. So a, a man of character, a man who is fearful of God. This is a good political leader in Israel. But even like for the church, you know, we see this with Israel, but in God gives us the characteristics of the leaders of the church. First Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 7. 
The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, the leader, uh, pastor, elder of God's church, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. And I think, again, the quality, quality of leaders, it's important to God's church, right? Significantly important that pastors and elders of our church are not greedy. They're not angry men. They're gentle. They're not drunkards. They're gentle. They're respectable. They're, they have self-control. They're sober-minded. They're able to teach. They understand the issues. They understand God's Word. They're able to teach God's Word to God's people. And so these are important to the church. And when we think about those for high office, we should expect quality. We should expect someone who is a man that is respectable and honorable, someone who is is someone who understands the issues of our day and able to speak with it. It doesn't mean that they have to, um, you know, be an expert on everything, but they are students of the issues, they're students of policies, and able to articulate those things to the people as effective leaders. You cannot be an effective leader if you're not a student of the policies and that you don't pursue understanding them and able to communicate them well to voters and to constituents. Um And I want to wrap this up coming to the importance of we do have now we have new Congress. We have uh, this is the second um, kind of um, after now a new Congress. It's kind of starts a new phase of President Biden's um, uh, his service in office, his term in office. Um, We have to continue to remind ourselves, even if we don't even if we don't approve of the results of the midterm election, we are commanded by God to honor our government, governing officials. First Peter two thirteen through seventeen. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good you shall be put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. I think it's important that we follow Paul's, Peter's words here. Praying, honoring our elected officials, um, praying for them, caring, uh, you know, respecting them. Not, um, you know, we can disagree with them. We can criticize their views. Um, but we have to be careful that we that doesn't lead us into being dishonorable or to uh, disrespecting our leaders, and we have to remember to, to pray for them. We, I, you know, we should pray for President Biden that he would come to know Christ. He's not a Christian. They come to see uh, and fear the Lord. We pray for the for Republicans in Congress. Now they have a majority in the House that they would legislate and govern in fear of the Lord. We pray for the Senate, even though that they are, you know, it's controlled by the Democrats and and um, you know, 
uh, Senator Schumer from New York is still the majority leader, that he would work for the sake of the, of the good of the people and not for his own good or the good for only a select group of people. So continue to pray for our leaders, continue to honor them and respect them, speak highly of them. Um, doesn't mean you can't criticize, doesn't mean you can't uh, disagree um, and state that on social media or with friends and different other platforms. But remember that to pray for them, honor them, fear God in this, and continue to, to learn more about different issues so that you can speak and, and remember to continue to press people on the issue of abortion. It is a uh, wicked, wicked, wicked policy uh, that desi- it needs to be overturned across the world. There are many countries that still uh, abort uh, fetuses. We need to continue to press this issue, doing it in a loving way, speaking the truth in love, and caring for life. So this has been uh, Pastor's Newspaper. We will be hopefully maybe be back after Thanksgiving and have a new episode for you and kind of wrap up the year and uh, kind of maybe do some observations and um, of the year itself of 2022 looking into 2023. So many uh, new things to probably comment on, new um, um, news issues and uh, um, piece, pieces of news to talk about in the future. Hope to be back after Thanksgiving. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Enjoy your time with your family. This has been a pastor's newspaper. Continue to read the news with the Bible in your hand. Have a wonderful, wonderful holiday.